and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. We're still coming to you from various home working spaces across the UK to keep you up to date with all the latest healthcare IT news. As our regular listeners will know, over the last few months, we have spent a lot of time talking about the importance of digital tools in the COVID-19 pandemic. We've looked at everything from delivering mental health care to managing pressure on the NHS and breaking the backlog of appointments that we're facing. And who could possibly forget the contact tracing app as well? But one area that often gets overlooked for big developments in primary and secondary care is care homes and the importance of technology in these settings. So today we're going to be looking at the use of tech in care homes and how important that has proved during the pandemic. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and joining me today are Mandy Thorne, Chair of March's Care, which owns care home The Uplands in Shropshire, and also a board member of the National Care Association. Hi, Anne. Carrie Bloomer, Managing Director of the Uplands. Hello. And Keith Strawn, Principal Clinical Lead for NHS Digital's Social Care Programme. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged today. I have no doubt this is going to be a really interesting discussion. So like many other healthcare sectors, there was a big drive towards using tech in care homes during the pandemic. This was to keep loved ones connected and also to ensure residents and staff were as safe as possible. Tech providers have also recently joined forces to launch a campaign to help care homes use digital services post-COVID in order to improve business. But digital solutions were in place long before COVID hit. So Keith, I wanted to start by asking you how digital services were being used across care homes in the country before the pandemic and how that has changed in the last few months. Hi, thank you. Um, as somebody who's been involved um, in health and social care IT probably for most of this century, um, and been involved in three or four different interoperability programs. It's actually been heartening um, the response of the sector um, during the last few months. Of course, we've been hearing all too much about the difficulties um, the, the care homes and domiciliary care. It's not just care homes, it's care providers have experienced. But um, it's been remarkable, actually, just how much the sector has been able to, to move forward with technology developments in this time. Uh, Mandy, Carey and I know each other well. We've been working in this sort of field for about six, seven, eight years on the digital side. And I think it was Mandy and I, we met at uh, actually a conference um, about seven years ago. And we discussed just how information was shared with care homes um, from hospitals in particular. But information coming in, in and out of care homes. And to cut a long story short, we did a formal pilot where we found out that 95% of everything was faxed or posted. Uh, a lot of this information wasn't clear. So we did a formal um, secure email NHS mail project, Uplands using NHS mail. Um, and it is interesting, that was a long time ago, <laughs> probably about six or seven years, Mandy. But, it was a long, uh, long time ago, yes. But um, one of the things that has happened during COVID is that I think there were 3,000 care homes that had NHS mail before the crisis, and there's well over 14,000 now. And a good proportion of um, domiciliary care providers is included in that. But what that pilot really threw up is something that's very relevant for today, and that is information governance, cybersecurity. As, as Mandy made it very clear to me <laughs> when we did this pilot, is that it was going to be costing her quite a bit in the home, uh, working with Carrie and colleagues about information governance and, and getting 
um, those requirements right through the old information governance toolkit. And what that proved to us and others, such as Ian Turner and the um, Nursing Home Association, is that there was a piece of work that needed to be done before we could even roll out NHS mail or shared records, because clearly it's not just about email, before we could go much further. And in many ways, we haven't moved too much from that. Uh, Mandy and I have been involved in this work uh, with Kerry, who's a Caldercott Guardian for, as I said, all these years. And we've been working with the uh, Data Security and Protection Toolkit team to um, make it more relevant for social care, which is an ongoing piece of work, which is great. They've been very receptive. And that work is continuing now. But that's with only 12% of care homes actually, um, actually um, completing the data security and protection toolkit, there's a long way to go. In many ways, it's not the be all and end all, but to get trust between health and social care and sharing information and getting us to the ultimate, which is Lycra type records, share um, um, standards that we all use, shared records, interoperability on both sides, then we have to get the um, information governance and cyber security right. And just to finish my bit, because you want to hear from the experts, that's very relevant now. I think, I think NHSX are working with NHS Digital to take this forward, and we should be hearing more in the next month or two. Okay, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that does lead me on to very nicely what I was going to be asking Mandy and Kerry is how are you using technology at the Uplands um, and how has that changed during the pandemic? Has there been a bigger drive or were you already using it? Um, we were At the Uplands, we were already using it, um, but the bigger drive for us now is to be using um, technology as in AI, um, artificial intelligence, but as an adjunct to the um, systems that we already use. So we're looking at um, artificial intelligence um, for pain control, um, looking more in depth at um, compliance and auditing and how that fits in around um, how we manage service, how we report back. Um, with COVID, the use of NHS mail has increased. We're able to um, move information around very safely and very quickly. I think our biggest stumbling block with NHS mail is actually the local authorities. It's not the NHS anymore. The NHS gets it. They understand about moving information. But it's the local authorities who still insist on encrypting everything, which drives us crazy because it... <laughs> It's a time waster and, and time is of the essence when you're you're after vital information about people's relatives or, you know, their their um, their power of attorneys or whatever. So educating other people as to what we're using. But we are a paperless community um, now at the Uplands. We have four bits of paper for every person and that basically is it. But we're now moving, as I say, into AI to be used as adjuncts to improve improve people's status, improve what, you know what life with us. I think what's interesting, Andrew, is that I mean we made a decision as a company a long time ago that we would try and go down the digital route because we just felt it would give far more transparency um, uh, to us as a business, but um, particularly to enable us to know more about those people we were supporting and, and to be able to um, offer families and the, the people themselves more opportunity to see what was going on with their own care. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And it sounds like you guys are fairly digitally mature, um, especially if you're looking at, you know, new things like AI, which I wasn't actually expecting you to say. So that's really interesting. Um, but there's, <laughs> there's also like basic things I think people have realized during the pandemic is just like the use of iPads and other really simple tools that we all normally have to keep people connected is really important. So what sort of tools were you using? We've used iPads, we've used, oh, cracky, um, Instagram, Facebook, Zoom, you name it for families to be connected. Um, we've done, I mean, my lap, my laptop I actually gave to one chap because he was on um, a, call, a Zoom call to his daughter in uh, Italy and I just left my computer there and I said, oh, I'll come back in half an hour and, and get it because he couldn't see the iPad, it was too small. So I, I ran up and got my laptop and said, hey, it's a bigger screen. Um, and the I think the beauty of um, remote GP working has been phenomenal. And that is going to carry on. I can't see that. They're, they're starting to come back in again, but not with the regularity that they did. They are now, their three rounds a week are two in person and one via the iPad. It cuts down on time enormously. You get the same presence as such as the, of the GP. It also enhances the um, ability of the nurses and the trust that they have in the nurses to give the right information. And, you know, they, they wave the iPad camera over every bits of people that they need to. Um, so, and, and social workers do all their remote assessments remotely. They log into our systems. They have unique logins. They can only see the people that they're after because that's all I'll let them see. Um, and it speeds everything up. It's a better use of time. It's been a really interesting, I mean, going back to your point about the communications and the keeping um, the people that we support in touch with their families and friends. We, we were very lucky, I think, that very early on, somebody very wise, much wiser than, than us, said, you, you need to make sure you've got really good Wi-Fi across mm. your service. And it's one of the lessons that we've learned and that many care homes are learning, that you, you need to have really good broadband. You need to have a secure system and also a visitor system, but that actually open access to Wi-Fi for the people that we're supporting and visitors is really, really important, which actually then back to Keith's um, point about information governance and cybersecurity. It's why it's so important. We, we need to make sure that everybody, everybody's information is secure, it's protected, uh, but we also need to make sure that people have the opportunity to communicate and to keep in contact with their families and friends using digital tools. Yeah, because it's, we often get caught up in the, you know, the time-saving aspects and the clinical benefits of using technology. But there's also something, there is something very important about staying connected. Um, how important was that for your residents in the peak it's of the pandemic? Crucial. When- I mean, do remember that, yeah, I mean, do remember that, you know, we, I mean, most care homes, um, and we were just like that, but most care homes actually locked down before they were mandated to by the government. We, we certainly did, and I think the majority of, of care homes did but we so we had to make sure that we could keep the people we support in contact because that's an integral part of their their day of their life and it's also it was vital and it still remains vital for the, for the 
the loved ones, you know, for the spouses, if you've been married to somebody for 50 years and your loved one is now in a care home, you, you need to be able to see them when you want to see them. You need to be able to contact them. You need to know what's going on. And I do think actually the, the care sector has really risen to that challenge, whether it's um, housing with care, whether it's care homes, whether it's domiciliary care providers. We've been aware of the holistic care that we need to deliver, and in particular, the well-being that comes with being kept in contact with with loved ones using tech because mm. that is something that you know we take for granted like you know in peak lockdown for me um personally I am tech savvy so I know how to keep in contact with people but not everyone in your care homes would be would they so it's something that I think people don't no. think about no it, it, it's not just lockdown using tech we had um a good example is we had a, a profoundly deaf lady who only used sign language. Now, I can do basic Makaton, I can do basic sign language, but when it came to something like a mental capacity assessment, we were able to use the technology into taking the speech into sign language. Uh, so, again, that technology is that you have to see, you have to seek it out, but the technology is there, and it's it means can get a true reflection on somebody's ability somebody's capability without writing them off and just mm. because she couldn't understand what we were saying although she got the gist of most things a mental capacity act assessment you you can't you can't just make a sweeping judgment they have to be done properly with the social worker present and ask the right questions but that proved absolutely phenomenal she had capacity she just didn't understand what we were trying to ask her so that happened before lockdown so during lockdown she was able to sign to her husband via i think hers was uh, zoom as well mm. via zoom and she used to do that every day oh that's really sweet she was isolated then she was less isolated during lockdown than she was before lockdown <laughs> oh that's really sweet though because it like that communication is just so important for loved ones um and as you've mentioned the tech is already there um but I think sometimes care homes seem to be forgotten about sometimes. Um, like from a news perspective, it's not always something that makes the news um, for us. So Keith, haven't forgotten about you there. I do want to ask you some more questions. Where does the care home sector sit within digital maturity? Is this something that's been overlooked by national funding and support? Or are we actually more digitally mature in care homes than we thought? I think it's always, you know, I've, I've presented, you know, around the country for years on this and, and one of the things whether i'm speaking to or sometimes a social care audience but certainly health it's really understanding what adult social care is to a certain extent i think that's been something that's that's occurred during this crisis even away from digital that people just don't get social care i mean i'm an adult social worker registered i'm not working as a social worker now but that's my background and i think like that i always will do and I worked in primary care, I worked in hospitals, I worked in disability services, I was an ASW mental health worker. Um, so, but a lot of people think social work, social care, adult social care, we're leaving aside children's today, um, is just local authorities, I say just, local authorities and social workers. And there's 17,000 odd social workers in, in, in um, the adult social care sector. But there's 36,000 nurses and care is a great example but one of the best and so and there's 
there's so many occupational therapists, I think about 3,000. There's 2,000 social workers working in the health service. I did read a report by chance. That's why I know these stats, by the way. Um, and to me, when I think of it, I think of my background, which was always multidisciplinary teams. I never worked in a team that wasn't either involved multidisciplinary working, either sort of with the team, sort of just slightly separate, but bringing them in. I can never quite understand in many ways, whoever it is, and I won't name names, they just don't get the integration and interoperability is health and social care. A very good example is my next door neighbor, Ron, who was a fantastic 93 year old. He's been great for me because he's really fit, active. Worked with so many, I had to work with many people who are perhaps unwell, disabled, in certain conditions. Just seeing him has been marvelous, but he had a fall. I went into hospital, nothing to do with COVID, but he hurt his arm quite badly. And he now gets home care twice a day and a district nurse. Now to Ron, I met his two carers. I'm not involved directly with this, but I met them the other day. Yeah, the, the nurse was um, Jane. The home care was Mohammed. Now to Ron, okay, he may have to pay for one of those or whatever, but to him, that's his little care team. He doesn't worry about health and social care, but that's the reality of it. You know, that is the reality of it. So, so when we talk about interoperability, integration, and bringing things together, I think that's very important. And I would say that the vast majority of that adult social care sector, 1.5 million, I think I think it's over 1,300,000 work in the independent care sector, which is care homes like where Mandy uh, and Carrie are, and domiciliary care. And that does tend to be quite fragmented because you've got very small homes. Um, you've got sort of medium-sized homes, and you've got perhaps the larger booper type uh, groups. And so the technology will vary greatly. Um, so I don't want to, I'm trying not to say jargon, but um, digital readiness, digital maturity, whatever, of course it's there. But there's nothing, I've seen, I, I see what health can do, and I know that sometimes health are tremendously under pressure. Those workers in hospitals having to use so many systems and being asked to use things so many different ways. So I think we're, without his afraid well we are kind of all in this together and but i say again there's nothing in the adult social care sector that they can't do or not doing in health it just might be in miniature at the moment and what we really need is the real push to get everybody moving along that digital maturity progression and i might be wrong maybe should come in here but i think most of the homes are still at a relatively early stage of that um, between paper, putting the tone of water of electronic systems, but there are many out there who are, are, are dying to have much more interoperability with health and other colleagues as well. What would you say, Mandy? Yeah, I, I was going to come. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think there are and there are a growing number of care home and dom care providers who have been going down their digital journey probably for the last five, even 10 years, and they are reasonably digitally mature. They they have staff who have got the culture change that's necessary. They, um, they, they get it and they've seen the real benefits. But I think we need to be clear at the moment, Andrew, it's not, it's not the majority of services at the moment. Um, it has been an area that has not seen um, the level of investment from the centre. In fact, it's it seen very little investment. There's been some great work that, that Keith and colleagues at NHS Digital have done, and um, they procured and, and 
are funding a wonderful service called Digital Social Care, which is run by the social care sector for the social care sector. Um, but it's a, it's a start, but there is a lot more to do. And I think what we're seeing is that those, those providers who have, got a dig have adopted digital, they're innovating really, really quickly and they're moving very, very quickly. And they've been able to position themselves so that they can make sure that the people they support get the best opportunities to be part of wider society, but also to get access to services. But, you know, we, we've got just under 17,000 registered care homes in England alone. Um, altogether, I think Skills for Care suggests there's about th over 38,000 locations that are either organising or delivering care across England. So that includes domiciliary care, it includes housing with care, as well as care homes. This is a vast sector. And as Keith said, um, it employs 1.5 million people. Um, so it's actually bigger than the NHS. And certainly it has more beds than the NHS. But it's had very little support or guidance from the centre, except for a very small team um, that Keith is part of, who have done amazing stuff on, I think, in business terms, would be called on a cup of tea and a donut. Um, very funding that has made a significant difference. But the fundamentally, we need to be seeing investment in hardware, in um, we, we need investment in software and we need guidance because it's a little bit like the Wild West out there at the moment, in as much as um, software suppliers are really seeing social care as a real opportunity and it is, but we need to make sure that the some basic tenants like interoperability are, are there for all of these systems that are being developed. Um, and at the moment, we're not confident that's the case. But we also have the culture change element of this that is so important for people at all levels in the social care sector. So from um, directors, trustees, managers, staff, all to understand the importance of technology, the opportunities, but also some of the risks, as well as our colleagues in the NHS and local authorities, understanding the opportunities and the risks, and maybe sharing some of those risks and sharing some of those costs in developing and trying to move us as a sector along this path very quickly. Yeah, there's two things I have I would like to ask based on what you and Keith have just said. Um, let's touch on interoperability very quickly and the importance of shared records, because this is something that is talked about a lot uh, within the NHS, uh, particularly with primary and secondary care. But care home setting is huge. How important is that access to shared records and what's, what is being done from the National Centre to drive the importance of interoperability and shared records across the sector? Um, I, can, I, can, I can talk about the, the programme that I'm in, the social care programme, which um, uh, is, is, is doing many things. And, and, and one of the best things it's ever done is procure digital social care, which I'd urge everybody to have a look at. Uh, it's, and as I said, it's, it, it, as Mandy said, it's run by care providers for care providers. But one of the things, one of the areas we're working in, and we're working in quite a few, uh, we've got this these uh, Pathfinder sites. Uh, there's 16 of them. Um, and the results of that will be coming out at the end of this year, moving into um, the new financial, uh, well, the start of next year. 
And from what you just said, I, I, I'll give you an example of two sites. We're um, in South Gloucester and Bristol um, and North Somerset. They're doing a project which is quite simply linking up care homes to the connecting care system in that area, which, of course, connecting care is, it, I think it is the lycra, if it's close to what a lycra should look like, where um, hospitals, GPs, and uh, those other who are involved in health and social care, no doubt community, mental health, I would imagine are there as well. But care homes, we've now got a handful, in fact, more than a handful of care homes who have joined that after doing standards met of the Data Security and Protection Toolkit. They've now joined Connecting Care. So therefore, we talked about um, sharing information and emails and posting and so on. I think at the moment, if the hospital put the medical discharge summary into connecting care, then the care home should be able to see it at the same time that the GP does, which is exactly what it's about. And of course, that's where we want to get to across the country. Although I know that lycras and such like are going at different, going at a different pace across the country, and maybe in some areas there doesn't seem anything in sight. That's why that's why it hasn't been mentioned yet. I know Mandy's home are just kicking off um, a pilot now mobile summary care records, uh, which can help, of course, um, to join up information. Uh, and I mentioned as well, there was another site, um, Sutton, who are working with the professional record standards body on standards so that we can um, have more of this interoperability in the future. And of course, Gloucester are part of that. And the professional record standards body, uh, I've just done national surveys, which I think Digital Health highlighted uh, about five areas, care home to hospital, hospital to care home, local authority to care home, care home to local authority. And something which I'm proud to say I, I kicked three and a half years ago was um, about me, which is, you know, the most important things that I want you to know about me, as uh, which I believe to be in the forefront of all records and ties in with the, the person that was deaf that Kerry spoke about earlier. And, Often people with learning disabilities and such like who often um, uh, perhaps don't have the best outcomes they should do when they go into hospital. So there is, as I said earlier, in miniature, there may well be a lot of things occurring, but, it, but it's then actually having a realistic plan to take that forward. And I'm, just to finish off, um, I'm not so involved with it, but I do know that NHSX are working closely with um James Palmer, my head of the social care program, uh, on working out um, and working with the sector on the best way to establish more shared records, interoperability integration over the next few years. And of course, that's intertwined with the information governance and cybersecurity. So I think that's probably a, a summary of where we sort of are on the national side. I'll let um, Kerry talk about the importance of um, be able to access the, the summary care record and, and just knowing as much as we can about the people we're supporting because that's the frustration. If you speak to any care provider across the country, um, you know, if you're if you're waiting for the GP to provide you with the discharge letter, which you might get five or six days after potentially you've taken admission, um, it's a really dangerous situation. So um it's a massive area of frustration, but we can explain what we've been doing and actually what's going on in quite a few places. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, from a care home perspective, you need the information. There are care homes I've spoken to around the country who have actually turned people around and sent them back to hospital 
because they can't care for them safely. You're in breach of your registration. You're laying yourself and you're at risk of harming the patient. Um, we, we're quite lucky because we have, I suppose we have NHS now, also very good links with the hospital because we're quite rural. Um, and I've got, I've been in post, what, 12 years? <laughs> Forever. Um, and I have, I know who the, um, the site managers are. So I email them and say, will you please give us a discharge summary? Um, but you, you do have to kick up first. But when you have people discharged who are on insulin and they don't give you the dose of the insulin and you ask the patient, oh, I have five units. Well, it might be seven or it could be ten. It, you could kill somebody. It's as simple as that. You could you could actually end their life. So to get the summary care records, which would give you their um, all of their medication, it would give you the last um, GPs um, stuff. It would give you all their important information. Would be and it's a view only, but view only is better than you don't want to put into it. You want to know about this person and how to look after them. Um, we're on the cusp of that. It's not been an easy route, I can say, um, because the mobile management device situation, and obviously you have to be very careful um, because it's very, very personal information you're having access to. Um, but hopefully once it's piloted and it's, it, it will become easier, once we've ironed out all the glitches, it's, it's got to become easier, otherwise it won't work. So, I, I think yeah. there's a basic premise here, though, which is the information that um, care homes are, are, want, are, are need to see is actually the patient's information. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not information that belongs to any particular organisation. It's patient information. And on a patient's journey, the, the, people, the relevant people need to see the relevant bits of information. But I think for many people, they don't necessarily realize quite the level of acuity of a number of people who are cared for within care homes and in their own homes these days um you know gone on is where care homes are just somewhere that people go and they play bridge or bingo um and they might have a walk every afternoon we're looking after people who are who have very complex conditions um many of whom are at the end of their lives and, but more and more now, we're looking after people who are being, who we then rehab and we get them home again. But I think we have to start looking at information, at patient information. It belongs to the patient. And every, every step along that patient journey, the people providing the care and support need to be able to access it appropriately. And that hasn't been the case for social care um, from the the provider point of view until very very recently and it's incredibly patchy across the country yeah i, th I think i think a way around this and it, this is going to sound a bit bizarre but having nhs mail if you get to standards met you will understand about who owns the information because you look at your article six you look at your article nine and you can quote this at the hospital and they suddenly look at you and go oh, you know what you're talking about um, and then once you understand the legislation behind the data security and the reasons why you're doing it, GDPR, the Data Protection Act, it becomes very clear and it's very simple. It's not brain surgery, but you, for direct care, you have a legal right to see this information. From a Caldecott Guardian's point of view, you need the minimum information to keep that person safe. You know, and it and it's ethically you have to have that information. 
So with the with the NHS mail, and if people are doing what they should be doing and signing up to do the DSPT, then this should become clearer. I don't know what Keith feels about that, but to me, that's the that is the win win for this. So let's talk about the big thing that always uh, makes a difference in the NHS. It's money, money, money. Um, we've talked briefly about the need for investment in this kind of technology in care homes. Um, is this a case of it requiring a huge amount of national events, uh, a huge amount of national investment, sorry, or is it a case of a little funding can go a long way and we just need more focus on it? Gosh, that's a difficult question. Um, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, obviously, I would love to say, wouldn't I, oh, just send us lots of money and we'll sort it. I mean, I, it's not just about the money. It's about a culture change. And it's not just a culture change or a mindset change from provide social care providers. It's also from our partners um, within the NHS and within local authorities. But I think without any doubt, we do need to see some ring-fenced financial support for the sector to adopt technology um, at scale. Um, The the social care sector is quite complicated and um, there's complicated uh, financial structures in um, some services you've got from, you know, the majority of care homes and domiciliary care providers are actually SMEs, small, medium-sized enterprises. They are not what the newspapers and media often portray as, you know, very big companies owned by offshore tax havens. That's not the majority of the sector. The majority of the sector is small, medium-sized enterprises working in their own communities, and they have the ability to, to invest and adopt technology and to spend the time with staff to support through the culture change that's necessary. So I think a shared approach, I think a, a shared understanding of what technology is to be expected and support, particularly for those services who are very, very reliant on local authority funded clients would be helpful. Um, but so I do think, yes, we do need some national investment, but I don't think with the greatest respect to our NHS colleagues, we don't need the billions. Um, what we need is some millions with a very clear roadmap and structure with outcomes and outputs expected at the end of that investment, but also some shared risk on this. So it can't just be, because I know there'll be people listening to this thinking, hold on, your private businesses or your you're not, you know, you're not statutory sector. Actually, the sector is very mixed between not-for-profit and full-profit. But I think what we need is is a shared understanding, shared risk, and some investment, particularly in the hardware, and um, particularly in being able to upgrade access to superfast broadband, and time to spend to support them through the skills that they're going to need to develop. And use it properly. And I think I think that last that last point is very very uh, important. Um, I, I know Mandy and I have been been speaking for many years about the importance of um, well, I think what people say hand holding um, with busy staff, and that's true for all of us, whether you are busy nurse, social worker, admin worker, whatever. But we all need assistance with this. It's a pity that for a lot of us, 
IT is the enemy, not the friend. Um, and I, I, I think it's a real opportunity to actually really target funding. I think it's quite clear now what it should be on. Um, I think the culture change is massive. I think digital health, if you don't mind me saying, has got a, 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 a can help us with this because there is a message to get out to the NHS about adult social care because sometimes, as I said, it's misunderstood and what can be done and to get the message through about what's happening. Not, and again, about the positive things that are happening and what can be done over the next few years is a very, very good message. And it helps everybody in the end. It will help um, the person's most important people, the people themselves, but also um, commissions and the whole workforce and, and organisations. I really don't see who loses. And if we, for example, had um, the vast majority of care providers already through the toolkit, which was a possibility, I think, in the last few years, if someone had taken that step, like they did with community pharmacists all those years ago, then we'd be in a different place now for sharing records in the winter. But that's looking back, and there is a real opportunity now to take this forward. And I think there's a willingness to do so, and certainly on all sides. And we might, just one thing, if I may, um, we mentioned digital social care, which is for care providers. There's also an umbrella organisation called Casper.care, which is for um, care provider software suppliers. We're doing sterling work on um, showing what to do with fire, interoperability and such like. So they can interoperate with the health service and local authorities, etc. So, it's, so we've come a long way. So it's really very positive. Um, so I think this, the timing is certainly right if it never has been before. I think what what we've learned over the last few months is that um, this sector is incredibly good at change. It's incredibly um, good at innovation that it will grab the opportunity, the fact that so many care providers absolutely grab the opportunity to use NHS Mail. What we need to do now, because they've all learned how good NHS, the difference NHS, NHS Mail makes, we now need to support those providers who've got NHS Mail without a data security protection toolkit. We need to support them now to get through the toolkit. That is when you do it for the first time, that is quite a hurdle. So we do need support, which is much better coming from the provider sector itself rather than top-down imposed. But provide some support, fund some support in the short term, probably two to three years, and we would be able to absolutely transform the sector. But it does need it does need investment, Andrew. Yeah. Well. Hopefully someone who controls the purse strings is listening to this and can hear all of the good work you guys have been doing and um, maybe freeze up a little bit of funding for you. Well, Mandy, Kerry and Keith, thank you so much for joining me on Digital Health Unplugged. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing from you. And for all of our listeners at home, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. So please do give us a follow on any of those platforms to keep up to date. We also publish on Digital Health News uh, every time we publish. So uh, you can have a listen over on our website as well. That's it for this episode, folks. We hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you in two weeks time. Bye.